you know, what is that ideal flow? I mean, we see these big kitchens where you've got like a dry area once, you know, all the, all the equipment, but Indian kitchens tend to be in much smaller spaces. So tell me a little bit about how you solved for that. Yeah. So there's no formula to it per se, but you try and think of a few different things like how much movement will you have to make on average to cook something? And how many people will be in the kitchen as well, right? How easy is it to access things that are that you'll want to use as often as possible? I mean, like the height of the kitchen counter makes a huge difference. Things like that. But I think in a lot of these things, the, the, the kitchen design shouldn't be contrived. And especially in the kitchen, kind of aesthetics shouldn't take over functionality. Functionality has to always come first. Welcome to Let's Talk Decor. I am your host, Manju Sara Rajan. What is the kitchen of a chef like? How does he organize it? What tips has he picked up from a commercial kitchen? On this episode of Let's Talk Decor, I've had so many questions for Chef Thomas Zacharias. For those who've been keeping track, Chef T. Zach, as his very popular Instagram handle is called, was the partner chef of the award-winning Mumbai-based restaurant, The Bombay Canteen, till 2020, when he left the spirited restaurant to work on indigenous food systems and cultures across the country. He's done extensive road trips far and wide, chronicling the seen and unseen parts of our food cultures around India. If you follow him on Instagram, then his Chef on the Road series is the only research you need when you're going to a city he's already been to. When he's not on the road or in a commercial kitchen, he's back home in Mumbai cooking things up in his home kitchen. As an avid follower of his Cooking with Chef Zach series, I've been keenly looking at the way he's organized his kitchen space, the colors, the height of the kitchen platform, and all the other details that make the space look simple, inviting, and easy to work in. Chef Zachariah is always generous with his advice, so there's plenty to note down from this conversation. Now, 2020 was a turning point from all of us. I mean, it changed the way every one of us does things. But for you, it's been it's been quite a groundbreaking year in a way. You've left a commercial kitchen that you were integral part of. You've also sort of put yourself more out there, right? Um, your Instagram series, Cooking with Tzak, has become insanely popular. Um, and I wanted you to just tell us how that came about and what are the sort of reactions that you're that you're getting on that yeah so uh to to kind of backtrack a little bit the re- one of the reasons i left uh, the bombay canteen was because um i just call it a midlife existential choice where i told myself that you know i don't want to be a chef my entire life i still want to be in food but i want to figure out if there are other ways in which I can create some sort of positive impact through food and maybe uh, reach a wider audience. Um, so uh, what I'm currently doing on Instagram and through my food trips is all kind of temporary. Uh, I'm working on a larger plan, a far more exciting, more impactful idea, which will take shape at some point over the next six to eight months. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I think one of the realizations that I got uh, right in the beginning of uh, covid was that um, I, I mean, as soon as lockdown hit, I was kind of, as like most people, trapped in my home, which uh, incidentally I hadn't really kind of connected with until then. I've been living in this apartment for um, 
three and a half years now. Uh, and I hadn't really, because I, I was always like, I, I was waking up, going to work, coming back, sleeping, and that is it. Uh, even on my day off, I would typically step away and go to a cafe, sit there the whole day and, and come back. So um, I've never really invited people home. So I didn't really use the space. Um, and one of the first realizations I had was, I mean, I, I didn't cook at home either. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, it's ironic, but I, at that point in my life, I didn't really, or until that point in my life, I didn't really feel comfortable about just cooking for myself. It was something I hadn't kind of navigated through. For me, cooking was always about feeding other people and making other people happy. But as soon as lockdown hit, I didn't have much of a choice. So, and that was also around the same time that Chef Floyd passed away. So I was really looking for some sort of like a, uh, some sort of comfort. And uh, that's when I first started cooking for myself and immediately found so much joy in it. I, I really think, I mean, this is at the age of 34 uh, is when I really fell in love with like cooking to nourish myself. And I'm really glad that I had this beautiful apartment and this uh, lovely kitchen to be able to do that for myself. Because, uh, I mean, that is a hard time for everyone, but in different ways. And, and I found so much solace and comfort in cooking for myself. So, I mean, for the audience, there's, of course, the 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 immense luck of being able to be led through recipes by one of the best chefs in the country. But there's also your a little bit of your reticence paired with Cicely Cecchi's captions, which is a killer combination. And I'm so curious about how this, uh, I'm sure you, you both have known each other for a while because she's so astute about everything. But this sort of the voice of the audience that uh, the captions are. I mean, just tell us a little bit about this relationship and how it came through. Yeah, so uh, for me, when I first, uh, I mean, so I started cooking for myself and I was enjoying it. And I said, you know, like I've been so vocal about eating regionally, eating locally, eating seasonally. But I, I've been talking about it for many years through social media, but I've never really been able to get people to actually see the cooking being done, connect with the recipes, cook for themselves. And I thought if I'm cooking these recipes anyway why not share them and see how people respond so that's how those first few recipes came about and one thing that i've always felt uh, disconnected with when i watch recipe videos online is that it's always very manicured it's scripted everything goes perfectly um, and it's it's unnatural and that's not how we cook at home like when we cook at home we fumble we make mistakes we goof up uh, and it's a lot more fun it's lighter it's more approachable and that's how i cook mm -hmm. so um when I chose to start sharing the recipes online, I consciously said, I'm not going to mess around and try and make it scripted. And I, obviously, I didn't have the kind of resources to be able to do that either. So I recorded these recipes and I said, okay, I'm not going to edit them. I'm not going to, like, if I if I goof up, I goof up and that's it. So it's all shot in one continuous, um, you know, uh, stream. Uh, and then I obviously, I mean, I'm, I, I was never confident in front of the camera i've always been a little camera shy and you that's very evident especially in the first few videos you'll see that being very evident i'm very awkward and uh, i mean i knew that like if anybody watching those videos would find that find it awkward as well so i said why not get somebody i know to put in these captions and call it out like instead of just like that being the elephant in the room just call it out and i just did it it wasn't like this planned strategy you just did it and people connected with so much that then it became a thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Cicely and I go back a, a long time and uh, I thought, I mean, sh she wasn't very comfortable with putting herself 
out there and i thought it'll be fun a like, little bit of intrigue will be fun as well so <laughs> yeah so and and it's been fun i mean i haven't posted uh, anything in a couple of months but uh, yeah it's been fun and i had this vision of a chef's uh, sh- kitchen being sort of a little bit of that you know stainless steel cold kitchen but your space is really colorful and you've got these little bubble heads and it's it's fun so tell us a little bit about the apartment and the space and how you know how you went about deciding on what needs to be in your kitchen yeah so i uh, like i said i moved in here about 3 and a half years ago it's the first time i've bought an apartment luckily stumbled on this space like literally saw two apartments when we decided to buy a place uh, me and my parents and this was one of them and just lucked out and uh, i'm on, i'm on a high rise building on the 41st floor and i and until then i lived in bandra for about 7 years around a lot of like greenery and being able to walk around and i knew that if i wanted to kind of live in this this high rise building and this alternate kind of contrived environment at least contrived for me i needed to make it more like a sanctuary than anything else so that was really important to me and i connected with pranali patel who actually was on the team that designed the bombay candy so she was part of bus ride studio and she just left bus ride so i just like kind of reached out to her and said you know i'm i'm moving to the apartment would can you help me design it and she said yes and this was before she set up now she has her own design studio called uh, that that and uh, then we kind of sat through multiple sessions of discussing what i what i envision what i want and uh, the brief was always this sanctuary this place that i could always keep coming back to and feel feel at home and that's where it all started and that's then we i mean we figured that i wanted elements of green and wood and uh, it to be airy and open and i also told her a lot about my travels and my interactions with food so like for example this room that i'm sitting in the living room is where we i mean it's structured in a way where there's space to put different knickknacks and souvenirs that i pick up from all my travels so it really like there's an aura about it which you feel as soon as you walk in of course you can see the that there's a lot ton of books almost all like 99% of them are food books which i've collected over the years i have my grandmother's collection of recipes which she's collected some of those recipes are from magazines that go back to the late 60s so there's a lot of like like that that energy here and i'm a, i'm someone who really believes in uh, or, or connects with like vibes and energy and it's a very strong energy a positive energy that i resonate with when i came to the kitchen i i wanted to be an open kitchen so we broke down like a whole big chunk of the wall and so like literally from my living room i can see into the kitchen and vice versa uh, which changed the dynamic of the space completely i mean obviously i had to account for like getting a good enough exhaust and things like that but inevitably my house smells of food most of the time Which, uh, <laughs> a lot of people see that as a problem but i don't i mean because one of the reasons why a lot of people don't opt for an open kitchen in india is because of that right because uh, the the smells wafting fish, through and fish through fish that's always <laughs> <laughs> but what about what about um, storage for instance have you been able to to fit in enough storage in the in the open yeah, kitchen yeah we're just smart about compartmentalizing and finding and again this is why working with a designer really helps because i think design and functionality need to go hand in hand especially in a kitchen and i usually work with a lot of ingredients so i have like like hundreds of ingredients in my kitchen some of which i mean most of which are local but like i come back from japan and i'll have like a whole bunch of ingredients that are added to my arsenal like i go to a trip in israel and i bring back a lot of stuff from there so uh, storage was really important and uh, finding places for i mean like a nice big refrigerator with a freezer and like space for all of that and it was so it's very custom built 
in that sense. I pretty much got a shell that I could pretty much do anything with. So there's plenty of storage. There's, there's no shortage of storage. Do you think that if you had known, obviously, we've all of us, the way we've interacted with our spaces has changed, especially in cities. I don't think any of us, especially in the Bombay context, ever imagine spending that much time in one's apartment. You, you get up, you go to work, you come back, you watch TV, you go to sleep. Do you think that looking back, you would have done anything differently had you known that you would have been in this sort of a situation for a prolonged period of uh, time? Not at all, actually. And, and like I said, like pre-COVID, I spent literally zero time. I've never, like for two and a half years, I I probably cooked like 10 dishes in my home. So I've never interacted with the kitchen, but I obviously set it up in a way that I would like it to be. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, it, I, I think, and it's not just the way the place was designed, but also how I filled it up, right? So I've got about 120 plants in my apartment. I've got like all these souvenirs from all over. I've got pictures of my family and things. So I think for me, it was about building something that, that felt special and felt like home. And I think, I mean, I know that's that's cliche, but uh, it's it's it can't be understated. You were talking about your grandmother's book. And um, so that was something that, you know, I wanted to ask you about as well, because you've mentioned many times about growing up, helping your grandmother, cooking with her. Um, and how do you think the, you know, and we have an assumption about, uh, traditional cooking or grand grandmother's cooking as being extremely traditional. But I remember some of the pages that you've put up on your blog and in other places, and it's surprisingly westernized. There are recipes of meringues and, you know, all sorts of So Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what that experience was like and also a little bit about your grandmother and how her sort of view of food was at that time. Yeah, so I grew up, in Cochin until I was 17 um, and I've been away from Cochin ever since so pretty much half my life I've spent in Cochin half my life away um, and a lot of those 17 years were spent uh, with my grandmother um, me and my cousin spent a lot of time there because my my mother had a job as well and so afternoons after school weekends uh, obviously summer holidays and we were really a close-knit community of I mean of close-knit family and um, my grandmother wasn't, I mean, everybody, we all talk about our grandmothers being exceptional cooks and that's uh, a given, I guess, but she was also an experimental cook. So, um, and she was really curious and wanted to learn herself. So she was part of local cooking clubs. She was part of, um, uh, I mean, she used to consume like videos on TV, um, a lot of these volumes of uh, recipes that are kind of cut out from Femina and those magazines like Eve's Weekly. Um, and she would experiment on her own as well and create new recipes. Um, before I was born, she ran a catering company in uh, Cochin that uh, has catered up to like 5,000 people weddings uh, with just her, her business partner and like one cook. So um, so she, she wasn't just a grandmother who cooked really good food. She had a very special and unique relationship with food as well. And uh, I think of all the things that me and my cousins uh, connected with her about, it was food that was really, really special because she spent a lot of time in the kitchen. And for us, if we wanted to spend time with her, we had to kind of spend our time <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, and so a lot of my memories were around like just barely being, reaching the kitchen counter uh, and... Uh, just those wafts of uh, food and seeing her uh, kind of transform really simple ingredients into incredible uh, food. And I mean, for me, I, I remember even finding just like 
her like just boil plain boiled rice delicious i mean it could be the fact that i had this connection with her but it, like everything was delicious and um, one thing i keep saying repeating over and over again is that uh, as a young kid uh, it was her ability to kind of use that i would like serve that food and immediately transform people's moods uh, like the room would light up there would be joy that i i almost saw that as a superpower um, and 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 i said like my god i i need to i need to know how to do that so, so <laughs> that's what kind of it's more than the taste of the food that's what kind of drew me into cooking and wanting to learn more um and it wasn't until a lot later until i was maybe like 16 that i realized that chefs even existed and i could make a profession out of it because this was way before uh, the internet and i mean way before social media way before shows like masterchef australia so i was trying to learn all this without any intention of making a profession out of it but when i realized i could i mean it was a no brainer for me now my grandmother not only experimented but i mean and most of us say 20 years ago ate locally and seasonally and you know mostly traditional recipes which uh, you don't really see anymore so for me i kind of drifted away from that as soon as i moved away from home because colleges and restaurants are set up in a way that like you said are mostly focused on western food and it took me what uh, 10 years or 7 years before i found my way back into a, a focus back into indian food and that happened with like epiphanies while i was cooking european food um, and like trips abroad and that's when bombay canteen happened but unfortunately she's she passed away before the bombay canteen opened so she she's never seen my return to my roots and like i mean so many recipes that i've learned from her which i've kind of recreated and showcased through the food of the bombay canteen and like yeah so i mean uh, i'm still very connected to her in a lot of ways in in what i do and who i am and a lot of my realizations about what's important to cherish kind of tie back in in terms of food kind of tie back to her do you think that um, you know because you speak about this a lot and of the recipes you showcase for instance on on um, cooking with uh, tzak is is simple enough to do but do you think that a lot of our traditional recipes people today who are cooking would find cumbersome or is there a way to simplify it um because we don't have the amount of time and and certainly a lot of people have been cooking during covid but do you think that you know like take malu food for instance it's it is complicated um right so is there a way to simplify it or is there a way that do you think that people will connect to it as easily so i mean i wouldn't downright uh, make a statement to say that uh, most of indian food is complicated for example even if you take the context of kerala cuisine uh, onam recipes are actually really really simple you can you're essentially creating like buffet of 27 items and most of them have only three or four ingredients so i mean the complexity lies in the i mean it's more in the perception of it rather than in in actual terms i obviously have the opinion that if there if it's a little cumbersome it's still worth making that effort and kind of going that extra mile but i can see why most people want convenience and most people want things done quickly i would say instead of trying to make slightly more cumbersome or complicated dishes simple start with simple dishes start with foods that are still easier to kind of adopt but i think we should always leave leave a little room for the stuff that takes time the stuff that takes effort because otherwise i mean i mean it's already happening but like 10 20 30 years from now we are all going to be eating like 
basic food, which I, I mean, I'm, that's not a future that I'm excited about. You know, COVID has been this sort of uh, enormous, enormous effect on so many things, right? If I look at design, for instance, I don't think there's been as strong an influence on design since World War II. You had all these all these movements and furniture designs and everything changed after World War II. And COVID is now one of those catalysts. Do you think that, and especially during this time, a lot more people were cooking. I mean, people have, a um, lot more businesses have come up in the food industry. Um, people are selling everything online. What are the sort of those, the positive changes that you're seeing? And do you think that, that that these will last um you know because because it's it, it's really exciting actually in a way also the number of number of businesses sitting in kerala today i can buy northeastern pickle i can you know i mean it, you know the connection of the the internet being this sort of magical connector um even if you want rice from Vainad, all of these all of these things have just opened up so do you think these are i mean because you're right in the heart of it you're in the middle of all of this how are you seeing the impact and do you think it'll last? So I think, I mean, one of the positive things in the context of uh, food and eating habits is that it's 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 made us pause and take notice. It's made us slow down and kind of appreciate uh, what we eat and what we put into our body a lot more. It's made us a lot more conscious about what we're eating, because, especially because, I mean, COVID has kind of been an alarm clock for us to take take note of like our health, our immunity. So in, in that sense, I think, it's it's been a boon to say people are definitely a lot more conscious than they were before i mean if you're talking about people wanting convenience i think it was much stronger before covid hit than post uh, people still want convenience but they are willing to go that little extra mile to do it the right way and i think that's um, we're at the precipice where i mean i i really can't look at a crystal ball and tell you if it's going to last but I mean, I really hope that it does. And that's essentially what I'm pegging my the next phase of my career and my life on is where I want to use this as a time to then say, okay, now people are taking notice. People have paused to take notice. Can we get people to think differently about the food we eat? And, and how can we do that at scale? Uh, I think the fact that a lot of things have gone online is is amazing. Uh, like you said, accessibility, uh, regional Indian foods and things like that. But uh, somehow, I mean, once uh, the dust settles, people are want still want going to want those personal interactions and those connections as well. Uh, for example, like I'm going on a food trip to Goa like next week, and nothing can replace that. Like nothing can replace that experience of actually going, meeting people, uh, cooking with them, uh, going to local markets. So I think uh, it's going to be like an amalgamation of the two, where we're still going to want those those unique experiences uh, offline. But I, I hope this newfound sense of kind of attention to what we eat and what we in, and everything around food uh, lasts. And um, I want to bring the focus back to the kitchen um, for a bit. I mean, you've left commercial kitchens for now, and I was just wondering. What have you applied from the commercial kitchen to the design of your space? Have you applied anything at all? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've definitely applied a lot. But I think, it. I mean, it's not that my kitchen will look like a chef's kitchen. It's just that it's done smartly. I think every kitchen should kind of be like this. And one of the things that I've taken from the commercial kitchen is the idea of ergonomics, which is where where things are located and like kind of the flow of 
movement within a space is something to really consider. And that's something that, I mean, so I'm the kind of chef who's really geeky and thinks about these things anyway. So when I do it at my home, like I, I it, it really matters to me. Things like, like, do you have enough storage? What kind of storage? What is accessible? Investing in, uh, the other thing that I did, I mean, I would take back is investing in good tools and good equipment because they're mostly one-time purchases. Like, I mean, I... I still have, I mean, I, this this refrigerator is going to last me like 10 years at least. Uh, so why not get a really nice refrigerator, right? If I'm going to use an oven, I don't want an OTG. I want like a properly well-built oven. So investing in the right tools, the right equipment uh, as a, something else that I've carried forward. And I mean, I think uh, whether it's a commercial kitchen or a home kitchen, it needs to feel like a space is conducive to cooking. It needs to be comfortable. It needs to be... Uh, and that's why you'll see a lot of those knickknacks and I surround myself with color and it shouldn't be drab. It shouldn't be dull and boring and uh, lifeless and uninspiring. So that, I mean, I, I would say those are the three things that I would bring back. I brought back. Yeah. I was struck by the fact that the the platform's actually quite quite low. Like it's it's not too high. Um, and I suppose that's one of the elements of economics. Can you tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit about how that flow should be, you know, what is that ideal flow? I mean, we see these big kitchens where you've got like a dry area once, you know, all the, all the equipment, but Indian kitchens tend to be in much smaller spaces. So tell me a little bit about how you solved for that. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's no formula to it per se, but you try and think of a few different things, like how much movement will you have to make on average to cook something? And how many people will be in the kitchen as well, right? Um, how easy is it to access things that are that you'll want to use uh, as often as possible? What uh, I mean, like the height of the kitchen counter makes a huge difference, uh, which is like even in, I don't know professional kitchens is often discounted, and it typically ideally should be kind of attuned to the height of whoever is going to be using it the most. So things like that. But I think in a lot of these things, the the, the kitchen design shouldn't be contrived and especially in the kitchen kind of aesthetics shouldn't take over functionality uh, functionality has to always come first so for example if for some reason the big kind of hole and the opening i made in my kitchen wasn't functional in some way uh, i would have chosen not to do it uh, because aesthetics is nice it's, it's nice to look at but you essentially i mean you're going to be working. I mean, you're going to be spending time and effort in that space and it needs to be comfortable. It, it shouldn't tie you out. And um, what about, you know, it, it, one of the things that I, I was really curious about is what's under under the under the stuff. Like what is, what, because everybody has their own thing, right? Some people like all the utensils. Some people like their spice rack. Yeah, so directly under the stuff is the oven and it's a beautiful uh uh, oven which uh, has like I mean like temperature range up to 350 and it's controlled temperature and all of that and right next to it under the like the work day, work uh, counter is where the first drawer would be utensils so spoons forks and things like that my knife set is on top so it's much easier access and I can keep going back into different kinds of knives and things like that below the utensils is then the spice rack so all spices which I mean there's a lot so uh, most of it fits in there and then the tier two spices are behind me uh, and below the spice rack is staples like rice grains things like that and then right next to it will be like potatoes onions things that i access uh really often behind me in the in the drawers behind me are all where the pots and pans and things like that like so imme that's immediate access 
I mean, I just have to take a couple of steps and I can reach pretty much all of it. So you mentioned equipment. What would be your top three things that, I mean, other than the big stuff like the oven, but what are the other essentials in your kitchen? Um, I think uh, I single most important thing is a good chef knife. I've seen countless homes where there is, I mean, there's no good one, at least one good knife. And when I say good knife, it doesn't have to be a fancy German Wusthof or a Japanese Shun knife, but it has to be something that keeps sharp or you can keep sharp. That's something that's big enough. Uh, I guess in a lot of Indian homes, you're generally used to using small knives to cut, but there is merit in a big knife uh, with a nice cutting board as well. But we're not really used to sort of cutting on a board, right? We're you're always sort of holding it in our hands. And, and... I mean, I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Both require different kinds of skill sets. I've seen some incredible cutting that's done on, on hand, but it just feels, I mean, like for me, this comes more naturally. So whatever works for you, I guess. But even if it's a small knife, then a good, like a good paring knife or, or whatever uh, knife you would use. But I like... I'm saying that not enough attention is paid to getting a good knife, period. So a good chef knife, a good paring knife. I I love having a peeler around, like a nice peeler, uh, a nice cutting board, a rubber spatula really helps. Yeah, with these couple of, like if, I, if I'm if i going on a, uh, say, doing a pop-up anywhere, I only carry, these are the only things I carry. I don't carry any more than that. Are you a standard mixer kind of guy? Ideally, yes, uh, but I haven't bought. So again, I, I didn't, I told you, I, I barely cooked before COVID hit and post that. Uh, I don't bake a lot. Um, and I mean, ever since I started cooking here, it's always been around about regional Indian uh, recipes. So uh, apart from a few things, there's not much like standard mixer utility. And I'm generally pretty simple. Like, for example, I haven't invested in a really expensive blender. I have like a standard Sujata blender, which I make do with. I thought that was the chef's staple. Yeah, it so. is. But I mean, I, and there, there is merit in it, but... So I don't, I don't just buy for the sake of buying. Like I, I wouldn't buy something saying, oh my God, this is fancy. I want to have it. Uh, I don't do that. Like I buy for functionality mostly. I mean, I've managed perfectly fine with this blender for the last uh, year and a half. I mean, that works. But to have a nice big refrigerator or an oven that works perfectly, uh, that's, that's really important to me. So what about cleaning up afterward? What are the sort of hacks that you've learned from a, because commercial kitchens have to be spick and span by the end of the day. So so one thing that I always uh, used to tell my cooks is uh, clean as you go. And, and this is not just from like cleaning up for say hygiene and aesthetics point of view, but also it really affects how you cook. Um, you work in a messy kitchen counter, you, you tend to be a little thrown all over the place. You won't be able to really kind of think clearly. And so whether you're cooking at home or in a restaurant kitchen, making sure you have a clean, organized area is really, really important. So like hacks like saying, I mean, for most of us, say if you're peeling onions, you peel it onto the table or you peel it onto a cutting board, but have like a small bowl to collect, you know, trim. Uh, you know, like that makes a huge difference. Uh, if you see like something fall around, don't just leave it there, like clean it up immediately. Um, unfortunately, because I started working on those recipe videos, I had to show a lot at the same time. So I had to clean up a lot after as well. Um, <laughs> I'm not extremely fond of like, uh, washing dishes. It's not therapeutic for me. Uh, but I mean, you have to do it. So you, you make do. Um, but I, I mean, even that, like I, 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 I kind of uh, think through it. I organize it in a way which is conducive. 
the other hack for both for cleaning and for uh, uh, cooking is uh, to uh, i think we always like say for example if we are peeling onions right you always peel one onion or uh, peeling or cutting onions you might peel one onion cut it up then peel the next onion cut it up uh, but it helps to repeat tasks which are, are are uniform or the same so for example if you are washing vegetables wash all the vegetables together and have them laid out uh, if you are if you are washing dishes first start with like scrubbing all the dishes and then do a rinse after um, so these are all things which like i mean i mean it comes naturally to me i don't know how many people think of it like that maybe everybody does and I, I don't know but um, yeah these are all things that i traits that i kind of carry on from the restaurant and you're a plant parent how do you manage when you travel i have i have uh, a, a staff like a, a someone who works for me who comes and uh, helps clean up now um, and looks after the plants when i'm gone but uh, the strangest thing happened i, I was in delhi uh, uh, last month for about 10 days and he also couldn't come in because uh, he had some uh, family stuff to sort out and i came back after 10 days and out of my 120 plants only one one of them died all of them wow. all the others <laughs> were thriving they weren't just like like they were thriving wow. uh, my house was like a jungle when i came back and i think a few <laughs> things i mean are attributed to that one is obviously we're in the monsoon so less sunlight and things like that but also i use a lot of compost for my plants so i compost everything at home uh, and that goes back into my plants which again has been like a mind boggling realization for me over the last 2 years and compost is really good for plants and and compost also holds water a lot better so uh, i think that also has uh, has a lot to do with it what's what's also kind of uh, absurd is that before i moved into this apartment i i didn't have even a single plant in my previous place so i wasn't a plant daddy before that but again i like i said i wanted to make this space like mine and i wanted to make bring greenery into it and as soon as i started bringing a couple of plants i i was hooked uh, because they really brightened up my mood and they made me happy and like there's there's this i mean i live alone so there's a sense of life around me and then it was it's almost like i got addicted to it like i like every week i was buying a couple of plants then i started propagating them and like you know making babies from my plant babies so it's been it's been fun i mean i i mean i really and anybody who walks into my apartment immediately goes wow I mean, like this is like an urban jungle, but uh, <laughs> I've I've not met like a single person who's come to my apartment who hasn't felt you know like um, at peace and comfortable and you know so so yeah that's why I mean I I I I'm very strongly an energy person so it's always about making sure the energy is kind of parallel to where I'm at. It's also one of the most significant things that I think has happened in these last two years in general as well, because people have really missed the outdoors so much that one of the biggest sort of I hate to say trends that have happened though is that people have started bringing greenery in, and especially in places like Bombay, where even in general it's hard to access. So bringing plants in and having a variety of it has made a huge amount of difference. I also wanted to ask you: you've been a very regular blogger uh, for a long time. Would you write about your experiences in the food industry? Is that something that would you write a book? Is that something that you've been considering? So um, I, I actually really love to write. Um, so the one thing I again I realized only in the last few years is, and this might sound really odd, that is that I realized that I'm a creative person, which means that. I, I'm not just someone who 
uh, is creative in the kitchen i have a lot of creative pent up creative energy that needs to be expanded so even and, and when i think back to it to my childhood is really obvious like i i sang i played the guitar i painted i sketched i did magic tricks i did video recordings with camcorders and i did mimicry and like so there's a lot to it and pa- part of it is also writing uh, like during my time at the culinary institute of america in new york i snatched the role of editor in chief of the school newspaper and uh, i actually had a blog way back in like 2003 which is a secret blog which nobody else has access to because there was my teenage angst coming out <laughs> um, <laughs> so i i've been kind of writing for a while not very regular definitely not as regular as i'd like to be but i, I it's a nice form of expression i think i mean i spend a lot of time writing just the captions for my instagram which are pretty detailed i mean that's as good as a small blog post and especially on my food trips you'll see see a lot lot of them in detail i have i mean i've always like definitely on my bucket list to write a book is just that, and i've been approached by a few publishers it's just that i don't think that's where i want to spend my bandwidth and my time and energy right now i i feel like that would restrict me from doing a lot of other things that i want to do but some form of writing maybe a newsletter maybe a newsletter or something else which i'm working on maybe <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah the written medium is really uh, exciting for me like i i i because i was always i mean growing up i was always an introverted person so writing and expressing myself came very naturally to me so um what are you reading these days i mean are there newsletters or writers food writers especially that you follow people that you think have interesting points of view that people should be aware of i typically go by like like a whole bunch of publications mainly uh international like stuff from new york times food atlantic i've i've recently started engaging a lot in a lot of like uh, at least searching out for sustainability related content and that's mostly not in one place it's all over the place but kind of seeking out information about like sustainability even means in the first place uh, in the indian context i like publications like goya journal that do some fantastic work around heritage indian food and then the occasional like articles around uh, food that come out but I, and that's what I, i mean i feel like especially in the context of india there needs to be like a more nuanced platform to tell stories from about food from across the country and 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 i think there's really a dearth of that in india uh, like one like a one stop solution for just discovering and exploring food in in a sustainable way this is what it should look like um i mean i'm just curious as a process and you've of course like you said you've done it for so many years because you go on these trips or you go on food discovery trips you taste things um how do you chronicle them so that you can come back to the kitchen and create something from a food memory so um actually my my insta game began 8 years ago with as a way of chronicling rather than me trying to like put it out there that was my way of chronicling it and to be able to make all those posts and stuff like that, i need a backup of information so typically there's i mean there's a there's a lot of video content that i create on the side which maybe does not always go up on instagram but a lot of it is i mean not not every time can i take notes uh, about what the recipes are because some people may not just give notes so uh, i make my own notes about what's there i get a sense of uh, and and i've built my kind of food memory a uh, bank to be strong enough to be able to hold a lot of that information so even while i was at the bombay canteen the idea was always that as when i come back i i bring a lot of those ideas and inspiration and the first thing i do is always to recreate the original before then i kind of 
decide on how I want to kind of interpret it, if at all. But uh, the chronicling bit is really important. And for me, the, like my social media is how I chronicle it. Uh, it has always been for chronicling and and kind of the 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 engagement with with uh, followers comes secondary. So on the far end of that spectrum, mock meets, and I wanted to just get your get your opinion on that. I saw that you'd work some recipes with it as well. Do you think that's the, another form of sort of a sustainable future of food? Um, I think there are serious problems within the industrial meat sector, uh, which need to be addressed urgently. And mock meats is just one of the potential solutions that could help. I think this jury is still out on whether people will fully accept it in mainstream diets. I, I don't, I mean, you can see some of that traction happening in the, in the US and in the West, but my hunch is that it won't really catch on in India. We also don't know enough. We haven't had enough time. And at this point, most of these mock meats are made with like a whole bunch of ingredients as opposed to just like one ingredient when it comes to meat. Um, so if given the choice, uh, I would do uh, like responsibly raised meat, which is done keeping like the environment and the and the well-being and the livelihood of the farmers and all of that in mind. But um, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, jury's still out because I think, especially in India, you're essentially trying to break habits which are so fundamental to like who we are as a people. I mean, most of India is not vegetarian, uh, as as contrary to popular belief. So um, yeah, and we have delicious vegetarian food. I mean, it's not. I mean, the idea behind mock meats is to convert non-vegetarians into eating more vegetarian food. I, I think there's two schools of thought to that, whether that approach is flawed or not. But yeah, I think the jury's still out. Um, I don't want to, I mean, if there's anything new uh, and uh, exploratory in that sense, I personally don't want to shy away from it or ignore it. And that's why I kind of experiment and test it out and see how I feel about it. But I'm, I'm, I'm not coming to any conclusions yet, I think. But have you seen any sort of responsible animal farming on the other hand very rarely i mean um, not i haven't seen any in india yet so again i think i mean responsible farming per se there, there are tons of great people doing incredible work but uh, somehow those are the ones who are never connected to uh, the end consumer it's still the big agro businesses and the big you know companies that ultimately tap into your wallet rather than these smaller producers and farmers are doing incredible work. I've seen great examples of it being done. Like I, I went and spent a week working at uh, this restaurant in New York called Blue Hill at Stone Barns, uh, which was unbelievable. And I spent the whole day tending to a pigsty and uh, that those pigs are being raised to, I mean, for slaughter. For the, but there's so much respect and love given to them. Like anytime, for example, they slaughtered a cow uh, and... They wouldn't just, I mean, this is something that's really messed up with how we eat is that we typically eat one cut of meat. Uh, what happens to the rest of the meat, right? Like if you eat steak, steak comes from one small part of the animal. There's, then the rest of the animal is, is, is not really popular enough to kind of have the ratio sorted. So, but it's something that we traditionally did. Nose to tail eating is something I've seen across the country in traditional cuisine. But in, in, in that restaurant at Blueville, for example, they wouldn't, they, they would bring the slaughtered cow and use every part of the animal. And during the time that, that that specific animal was being cooked and served, they would use the name of the animal. That is the extent of like how connected they were to the food that they were growing and producing and eating. Thank you so much. 
I have two questions related to food for you as a sign off. What is an indulgent meal for you? Again, might sound cliche, but uh, home food. Um, so typically, anytime I go back uh, to Kerala, the first meal that's cooked for me is uh, uh, my grandmother's duck curry with putta. Which you had on the menu at Bombay Canteen, right? Amini's duck curry. Duck curry. Uh, her name was Amini. So home food is one and the other would be chaat. I'm a, I'm a sucker for good chaat. And um, what's your favorite Malu snack? Again, um, oh, I have a bunch. Um, I really like a nice, freshly fried paripura. I also like parampuri a lot. But uh, again, my grandma used to make parampichi, which is a recipe I've shared on my Instagram, which is a different form. It's just mashed bananas that are kind of beignets made of uh, mashed bananas. Which and I mean, for, I mean for me, like those favorite snacks are usually tied to memories rather than just the taste alone. Yeah. When you're talking about your grandmother, I'm reminded of Mrs. B. F. Vergis's uh, cookbooks, if you've seen. And there was a, I remember she had a section at the back where all her recipes could be multiplied for a hundred people. <laughs> and, you know, that idea that uh, that they also in that generation actually made it themselves, even if you were talking about a hundred or 5,000 people, that they knew how to actually do yeah. that, um, which was quite amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for um, having this conversation with us. You heard it from a professional chef. If you work in a messy kitchen, you'll likely bungle your cooking as well. So clean as you go and make sure you have as organized a workspace as possible. But perhaps the biggest learning that I've had from speaking with Chef Thomas is that even if you're a professional chef, when it comes to creating your home kitchen, the best approach is to just make it personal and tailored to your working style and preferences rather than filling the space up with shiny accessories. If you're looking to create your own kitchen space or need help with its design and execution, you may want to check out Beautiful Home Services, the interior design and execution service that is part of Asian Paints. There's lots of information on it on beautifulhomes.com. Thank you for listening and happy decorating. You've just listened to the Let's Talk Decor podcast with your host, Manjusara Rajan. Follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other major podcasting platforms. Let's Talk Decor is an initiative from beautifulhomes.com, which is India's largest decor and design platform, and it is a part of Asian Paints. Beautiful Home Services brings customized interior design to everyone, allowing clients to create their dream homes with expert designers with the end-to-end project management guarantee that's part of Asian Paints. If you'd like to know more about BHS and everything else under the decor category of Asian Paints, then do log on to beautifulhomes.com. This episode of Let's Talk Decor is produced by Nikhil Dintakurti and sound design partner, Smart Voice Studio.